to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Hey, I want you to stand with me this morning, and um, I want to preach. I, I haven't preached uh, for a month. I preached at a Louisiana camp meeting the 1st of June while I was on my sabbatical, and after that, I haven't preached. And man, we just had a great first service and uh, just ready to preach again. I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. And I just want to thank you for being here today. I, I kind of got in my head, I can't remember if I said this earlier, but because you have two services, but I was kind of like, well, okay, it's holiday weekend. There might be me and the, the staff and Billy, that's it. And I might be preaching to Billy. I don't know. But uh, you're a good-looking crowd. I'm glad you guys are here today and, and you look good and just, I know it's a vacation time. But uh, I do encourage you, like Pastor Evan said, listen to the podcast. If you're not doing that, find a way to make that happen. Um, Let me just give you an example. Let's talk about God podcast, which Evan and I do. We do these podcasts. We love it. My joke is we're going to go syndicated one day. We're going to be big time, okay? But uh, we were told by Pastor Gabe, our media pastor, which is pretty cool because this is fairly new. I mean, we haven't done this a year. We're getting like 500 to 600 listens per episode. And we're, we're finding out that people all over the country are now, it's just kind of spreading word of mouth. And so just all kinds of people from just everywhere are, are tying into it. So if you're not tying into that or listening to that, get, find that capability. You have it on your phone. Uh, the last one that's on there you really love because we brought Leah on, my wife. She had uh, a mom, dad, son, and we, we spent an hour and 10 minutes, whatever, talking about legalism. How many of you grew up in a church where there was legalism? Did anybody? I know see some hands. Okay. For a lot of you, you don't even know what that is, but there's still legalism today. There still is legalism. Thank God we don't have it in this church. But when I was growing up, we had that. And so we talk about that, and we had a lot of fun with Leah. And if those, those of you who don't know my wife, it's just she's, she is who she is. And so you will absolutely enjoy it. And we just, we had fun. You'll laugh. We had a good time. All right, Exodus chapter 3. I want to preach a message. It's almost going to be kind of weird in the middle of the summer. You'll find out in a minute why. Because it's a message that challenges us to focus on the kingdom of God. Right now we're focused on going to the mountains and going to the beach and, 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 and doing whatever. Going, going down to Orlando and see the rat. You know, Disney World. And, uh, I mean, he is a rat. We wear a hat that's a rodent. Yeah, I see. You know, see what I'm saying? It's a rodent. He's a rodent. You put out mouse traps for him in your house. Anyway, I'll stop. But, but right now, today, I want us to focus on the kingdom of God. And I want us to go to Old Testament book, Exodus chapter 3, and read verses 11 through 14. This is the story of God and Moses at the burning bush. So if, if you're familiar with that, that'll help set a context. But Moses said to God, verse 11 of Exodus chapter 3, Who am I? Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Would you pray to me, Father, in the next few minutes, would you help me and help us? And through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, help us to hear your word and speak into our lives, God, and mobilize us and motivate us to be the people of God, to be the person of God, the child of God, the man of God, the woman of God that we desperately want to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. You know, this is July 4th weekend. Uh, We had a lot of fun on July 4th. We grilled. Uh, I'm getting pretty good in the steaks. I used to be horrible, but I went to the Huey Peacock School of Steaks. And those of you who know Huey in our church, he taught me how to grill steaks, and my family tell me that I'm getting pretty good at it. And so we grilled steaks and had the family together and just had a big time and a good time. And um, I went fishing. Uh, my, like, my Independence Day was awesome. I got up fishing. One of the men from the church, we got up fishing. And I'm not telling you where I found them because that's if I tell you, then everybody will go there. 
So I found a place, and I am not exaggerating, in about three hours, we caught between 40 and 50 largemouth. I mean, we got on them, oh yeah. Uh, some of you are clapping, and all the fishermen are just drooling right now, and you hate me. You hate me, I know, but I'm telling you, we got on them. It was crazy. Jason, we found them. It was crazy. They were schooling. Second cast, I caught one on a fluke, and from there, in 15 minutes, I put five in the boat. It was one of those days, you know, it may never happen again. And then I went home, and then we grilled, and we just, uh, we had a good time. Uh, we had fun, and I think I went to the smoking pig. That's like a perfect day. You just catch 40 to 50 largemouth and then go to the smoking pig. I mean, that's just die and go to heaven right there. But anyway, it's a holiday weekend. It's July 4th. We've had a lot of fun, and we focused on America, and we focused on this country. I thank God for America. If you travel anywhere around this world, you know, people say, I know there are people, I hate it. I hate that there are people in this country who say, we need to stop saying we're the greatest country on earth. Well, if you don't feel so good about it, move somewhere else. But I think it's the greatest country in the world. And I've been some places. I've literally been around the world, literally, okay? I've been, I've been, to, I've not been to Africa, but I've been to Asia, been to Europe, been to Central America, okay? I've been a lot of places. I'm telling you, we are blessed. And, and so I thank God for this nation. I thank God. You ought to be thankful that you're, you were born here. You could have been born in the slums of, of India, okay? And, and so we need to do as a country whatever we can to help other people. But I thank God for this country. And so it being the, the, the weekend, and I'm patriotic. I go to the Braves game. They start doing the national anthem. I start crying. I, mean, I just, I'm patriotic. And so I just thought that I would use something here to, to come out of the gate with this message that would kind of tie in with this. So I'm going to show this picture on the screen. Anybody ever seen this? Anybody familiar with that? I, I mean, the, everybody in here has probably seen this. The poster of Uncle Sam with that pink pick, uh, finger pointed in your face saying, I want you for the United States Army. I did a little research on this. In 1917, the United States Army created what is now considered an iconic recruiting poster um, to try to, to get support for the upcoming war, and they used this image of Uncle Sam. They created this, this guy who is representative of America, and with that finger in his face pointing with all seriousness saying, I want you, I need you for the U.S. Army. And I researched countless numbers of young, they've got like four million of these posters out. Countless numbers of young men uh, joined up in the army to fight in World War I because that was the period it came out. And, and it was a recruitment poster. I want you. I want you. Well, when this passage that we read in Exodus chapter 3, God didn't use a recruiting poster. He used a burning bush to get the, the attention of Moses. And he said to Moses, I want you. I want you to do something for me. My people are in Egyptian bondage, and I need somebody to go down there and represent me and work with my power and lead those people out, and I've picked you. I want you to do something great, and, and I want to use you. I'm going to commission you to do something powerful. And this is what's so important, that he didn't know it. He didn't understand it, but Moses was destined to do something great for God. To do something great. And, I mean, look, all these thousands of years later, you say Moses and the children of Israel, and most people know what that's about. What a legacy that all these years later people know. Well, I'm going to stand up here. I really just have one thought that I want to give you today. But I want to say something to you. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God wants to take you and do something great through you. I, I'm, I'm not just up here saying that to pump you up. I'm telling you my understanding of what it means to be redeemed, to be born again is that God wants to use you. He created you with a purpose in mind. You have a destiny. You have a destiny and you are destined to do great exploits for God. That's right. I know you may be from Anderson or Iva or, or Star or Honeypath or, or Townville or Pelzer or West Pelzer, don't forget West Pelzer, okay, or Williamston or Belton or Greenville area, you, wherever you're from, okay, La France, Sandy Springs, Clemson, Pendleton, okay, wherever you're from, all right, Pumpkin Town, Ware Shoals, Moonville, we got some weird names in South Carolina, okay, Shantytown or something, I don't know. We got all kinds of communities. Listen, wherever you're from, you may think, like, Pastor, I, I, I know what you're doing. I'm just, 
I'm just a nobody. I'm just, I live in a little town, okay? I, I don't, I just can't see what you're talking about. Listen to me. You've got to hear the man of God today. I'm telling you, I don't care where you come from, where you live, what your background is. I'm standing up here today as the man of God to tell you God has a plan for you and you are supposed to be doing something great and mighty for God. That's the And I want you to listen to this. Paul said, for we are his workmanship. That word literally means that you are a piece of artwork. As if an artist or an artisan would create or, create or craft something of art. Something that's a masterpiece. That's what that word means. You are God's masterpiece. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Did you hear what I said? Created in Christ Jesus. You weren't saved just to miss hell and go to heaven. You were saved to do good works. And I mean, that's more than just giving $20 to a homeless guy or, or, or preparing a meal for the woman down the street who's had surgery. That's nice things to do. We should do those things. Those are good works. But y'all, I'm talking about something greater. I'm talking about a lifestyle of good works. I'm talking about ministry. I'm talking about finding your niche, finding out what it is that you're passionate about that keeps you up at night, that makes you cry or makes you beat the table when you talk about it. Doing work in the kingdom of God. Are you getting this this morning? We've got to find out what that is. God has created you for good works. Listen, which God prepared beforehand, and that means there's a divine plan. That it's your destiny that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what I'm talking about. It's a lifestyle. It's a ministry. It's what you do until Jesus comes or you die. And so Moses has this calling on his life to do this, this great exploit and to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he's not buying it. And so he says to God, he asks God a question. He says, who am I? I mean, have you looked at me? Who am I? And Moses felt inadequate. And I thought about two reasons why Moses felt inadequate. Number one, he had a low self-esteem. All right, for the first 40 years of his life, Moses was a prince of Egypt. He lived in Pharaoh's palace, all right? But for the last 40 years, because he was 80 years old when God showed up to him, that means if you're old, God still wants to do something through you, Okay. So at 80 years of age, here's what's happened the last 40 years of his life. And I'm going to get to the reason why he left Egypt in just a minute. But for the last 40 years, he is in Moab. He is on the backside of a desert. He is tending sheep. He is a nobody from nowhere. The only people he's leading are sheep. And then put on top of that, he stutters. Okay? Come here, sheep. Can you see him trying to call the sheep? Okay, uh, you may want to say anyway. He stutters really bad, and so he has a low self-esteem. He does not see himself as qualified. He does not see himself as a person that God can use. Here's the second thing: he saw himself as a failure. Forty years earlier, he's he's living it up in the palace. Okay, he's the adopted son of Pharaoh. He's got it made, but something begins to stir in him because he's still a Hebrew. And he goes out and he sees that the Hebrew people are slaves. It begins to stir in him. It bothers him. One day he's out and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster master beating one of the Hebrews. And Moses goes over there and kills the guy and rescues the man. They, he buries the body in the sand, goes to bed that night, and he's laying there in bed thinking, I've started something. There's a revolution about to take place, and I am going to lead it. Tomorrow I'm going to go out, and the Hebrew people are going to, they're going to swarm me. They're going to follow me. We're going to rise up. We're going to overthrow Pharaoh's reigns on us. We're going to be freed, uh, and I'm going to be the person to do it. So he goes out the next day. He's ready for the Hebrews to come on around him and, and, and rally around him, but they're not doing it. And then he sees two Hebrews fighting. He says, brothers, you need to stop. Your brothers, you, know, you need to stop this. He's trying to lead them. And one of them looked at him and said, who do you think you are? In other words, we don't see you as a leader, and, and we all know what you did. You killed an Egyptian yesterday. We know who you are. You're nothing but a murderer. And, and, and they, they didn't rally to him. See, the timing wasn't right. And then Pharaoh finds out, and the day he thought he was going to be the deliverer, he becomes a fugitive. He's running for his life. And so he lives in the desert tending sheep, and he has 40 years to think to himself, I am a complete failure. I unsuccessfully tried to do something and I failed miserably and I am, I am a failure. 
And so I'm not, I, God can't use me. This is the best I'll ever do in life is 10 sheep. See, he's struggling with this concept that he lost everything he gained in Egypt. Now, the reason I talk about this is because sitting under the sound of my voice in this building may be some people that I need to talk to. Perhaps you cannot see yourself doing anything for God because you think that you are inadequate, that th you think you're a nobody, that you think that you're disqualified or unqualified, a and then perhaps because you have a low self-esteem, you just can't see it. You can't picture yourself doing something for God. And then perhaps you tried to do something for God, okay? If it wasn't in this church, maybe another church. You volunteered. They put you in a leadership position, and so you tried. And the reality is it fell apart. It disintegrated. It got bad. You couldn't keep workers. You made people mad. You weren't ready. You weren't, you weren't trained. Uh, the pastor threw you under the bus. Finally, he just said, you know what? We're stopping this ministry, and, and you got hurt. You got hurt bad. And, and you left there, and it might have been a year ago, four years ago, 40 years ago, but you left and you said, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do ministry again. By the way, never say never to God. Because God has this sense of humor that he'll, he'll go, oh, really? And then you'll end up doing it. You know, Pastor Scott, you know who, pa Pastor Scott, he said he'd never be a preacher, and he is. My sister said, I'll never marry a preacher. Well, when she married him, he wasn't, but then God called him afterwards, and she was stuck. Okay? So you never say never. And so sometimes, maybe, maybe you said never. I'll never do it again. I, I came here today to say something to you. You need to hear me. God sees in you what you cannot see in yourself. God sees somebody powerful, mighty, effective, fruitful, successful, working in ministry for him. I'm not talking about full-time ministry, though there may be somebody with a call in their life for full-time ministry, but and not even part-time. I'm just talking about what is it that you're going to do for God that God's called you to do. You need to trust God. How many of you know he's a God of another chance? He's a God of another chance. And even though you failed, he can turn your failure into stepping stones. Can I just talk about that for a minute? And this is where the leadership comes out with me because, you know, that's my thing. When I was young, I did not want to fail. I would hedge my bets in anything I ever did in church. When I worked at Praise Cathedral and Bobby Johnson, I would always hedge my bets because I did not want to fail because if I failed, I was afraid that that would make me look weak. It would make me look inadequate. It would make me look insufficient. And so I would always make sure that whatever I did, I would shore it up because I wanted to succeed. I didn't want to ever fail in anything I said, in anything I tried, anything. And that's very common with young leaders. Because in our mind, if we fail, then we're going to be looked down on. Now, all these years later, where I'm at in my life, understanding leadership, I'm going to teach you this. Here's what I've learned. Failure is not a bad thing. Failure is a good thing. If Thomas Alva Edison had not failed a thousand times in trying to create the light bulb, we wouldn't have a light bulb today. And somebody said, do you see yourself as a failure? He said, no, I just learned a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. That's the point. When you try something and you fail, it doesn't mean that, that you're no good and we should throw you out and you're disqualified. What it means, first of all, is that you had the gumption to try. Hey, at least Peter stepped out of the boat. The other 11 didn't do a thing. When you try something, at least you have faith and you're stepping out and you're going to try something. And if you fail, okay, so you didn't get it right, guess what? You've learned a valuable lesson. I heard a story one time, it's a true story about a man that had a multi-million business deal going on and he blew the whole deal, cost the company multi-millions of dollars. He went back to his office, got a box and started putting the stuff in his desk in the box because he knew he was going to get canned. Secretary came in and said, the CEO said he wants to see you in his office now. He said, here it comes. He said he went upstairs, his, his receptionist, the secretary said, he'll see you now. He walked in, he sat down, he said, before you say a word, he said, I know that I blew it, I know that I failed, I've got the box downstairs and I'm packing my things he said I know that you're going to let me go and the CEO looked at him and said whoa stop stop did I say I was firing you he said no sir but I figured that's when he said oh no 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 wait a minute he said you just cost this company multi-millions of dollars you understand he said yes sir I know that he said did you learn a lesson he said yeah I sure did he said you ever going to do it again he said no he said, that's the most valuable lesson I've ever learned. He said, you just learned a multi-million dollar lesson and you'll never do it again. Why would I let you go? He said, go back to your office, but don't ever do it again and learn from it and do better next time. 
See, that's what, what wise leaders know is that everybody's going to fail. But if you're scared to death, I had a lady in the first service come up to me and she said, I've wanted to do something, but she said, I was afraid. See, she was afraid that she was going to fail and so she didn't do it. And she sat in the stood in the altar after church and cried, tears coming down her face, said, I'm afraid I've lost my opportunity because it was a chance to work at a place for ministry. And I said, look, go back and pray. Go back and ask him again. Tell him what happened. I said, but God's not giving us a spirit of fear, honey, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of trying. You don't have to be afraid of failing. People say, I'm afraid to ask for something. Go ask. The worst that can happen is they say no. What if they say yes? See, what I'm trying to tell you today is we, we've, got to be, we've got to be bold and courageous and not be afraid to fail. Numerous people in the Bible doubted themselves when called by God. I just went back and thought of some key figures. Abraham. God goes to Abraham, Ur of Chaldee, says, leave this place, follow me, live for me, serve me, and I'm going to take you to a land, and eventually it's going to be your land, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Mo, uh, Abraham looked at him and said, who am I? I am just a useless old man. And then God showed up to his grandson, Jacob, and said, Jacob, this thing works through the lineage. It was true for your grandfather, your daddy Isaac, it's true for you. I need you to follow me, I'm going to make a great nation. Matter of fact, you're going to have 12 kids and that's going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. And out of that, we're going to make a great. Jacob said, who am I? Excuse me, Lord. Have you looked at me? I am a cheater. I am a swindler. I am a scam artist. I am untrustworthy. I wouldn't trust me. Why would you? But God saw in him what he could not see in himself. God comes to little Mary. All the teenagers here today, young adults. Little Mary. Mary's a little teenager in Nazareth. A little, little country town. I mean, it's, you talk about a nobody from nowhere, they would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know what I'm saying? And so she, she's living in this little bitty town. An angel shows up at her house one day and says, you're highly favored. God has chosen you. God's going to come to the earth, robed in flesh, be born, and he's going to be born of you. And she looked at him and said, who am I to do that? I'm just a young teenage girl because God uses old people, you know. God can't use teenagers. God can't use young people, right? That's what conventional wisdom says. Wrong. He used her. He used David. He used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. God can sometimes do things through teenagers because they they too young and stupid to know that you can't do it. Okay? The reality is the old people are too dumb and stupid to think it can't be dumb. And young people say, let's go try it and see what happens. If it don't work, we just go into Mellow Mushroom. I love that. Okay, look at Paul. God rode to Damascus. Paul shows up. God shows up, knocks Paul down, blinds him, begins to speak to him. Says, I'm going to do great things through you. Goes to Ananias. Go tell this man. He's going he's to speak before kings. He's going to speak before great men and preach my gospel and share the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul looked at God and says, who am I that you would call me? Have you looked at, have you checked my resume lately? I persecute your church. I am a murderous blasphemer. I am the chief among all sinners in the world. And God said, I don't care. And that's the point. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about what you failed in. It doesn't matter about what the things are that you think disqualify you. God can take you, save you, redeem you, change you, put his Holy Ghost inside of you. And the next thing you know, you're doing stuff you never imagined you could do for God because God used every one of those people and God will use you. Stuff I preached in the last message, I'm going to preach right now. Some of you right now say, there's no way God can use me. Let me tell you something. My mom and dad are here today. My dad went where God told him to do, and dad, dad, God called my dad to go to Man's Choice, Pennsylvania. It is a borough. It, it doesn't even qualify as a town. It's too little to be a town. Like the town I grew up in makes Honey and Path look like a metropolis. Is that not right, Pop? 270-something people in the population. Okay, we didn't even have a red light in my town. And I go to this little town, and I grew up in a little town in the, in the Allegheny Mountains of Pennsylvania. I'm backward, backwards. I'm, I'm not an extrovert. I, I, I was comfortable in church, but beyond that, I was, a, I was, you know, down south we say they're scary. You know, if you get scared easy, you know. I was a scary kid. I was insecure. I'd get scared easy. I, I didn't have a lot of courage. If you looked at me as a child, uh, you would say, ain't no way that kid's ever going to amount to much. 
But let me tell you what, God saved me, sanctified me, he filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I have no idea why, but when I was a young man, God called me to preach. I was at USC Upstate, minding my own business. I was going to be a computer science major, like make lots of money, but for some reason, because God had a plan, God chose me, and I looked at God and say, who am I that you would use me? But God had a plan, and the reason why there's a church in Anderson today is because, listen, I was just a glove. When I played softball, I have played softball. I've played softball in this church. I'm a has-been, but I played softball with quite a number of you. I had a glove. I had my, it was my favorite glove too, by the way. And I had my softball glove. Well, I'd throw my glove on the bench. When the game started, does that glove come off the bench out there just floating around at second base? Wouldn't do any good because it couldn't throw to first. No. I had to put my hand in the glove, Right? Once I put my hand in the glove, then I could open it and close it, and I could turn it, and I could backhand it. I could catch him here and transfer to this hand and throw over to first. What I'm trying to tell you is, let me tell you something. None of us in this room are qualified. None of us in this room are worthy. None of us in this room are all in in a bag of chips. All of us have flaws. All of us have failure. But there's one thing we got in common. We have been saved, born again, and we got the Holy Ghost inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit puts his hand in the glove, when the Holy Spirit puts his hand in you, you will do things you never would have imagined in your life I asked my dad one time I said dad you preach all over the world you preach in front of thousands my dad's just done things that I, I could only dream of ever doing been places done stuff I mean just all over this world my dad's preached. And I was talking to him I don't even know if he remembers this I said dad you preach ever I said do you still get nervous are you like at the point that you don't even worry about it anymore he said oh no I get butterflies every time I preach well that knocked me over I said come on dad you're experienced you're, you're a veteran he said oh no I still get butterflies and he said I hope I never lose them I said why he said because if I ever lose them then I'm going to lean on me but as long as I got butterflies, every time I go to the pulpit, I say, God, I can't do this if you don't help me. And that helped me that day to learn it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And if you've got the spirit of God inside of you, God can use you to do anything for him in his kingdom. Hallelujah. So Moses asked the question, who am I? You may be sitting there. You may be sitting there saying, "Who am I, Pastor?" And you, you, I, I know what you're doing. You're going somewhere here. You want us to get involved. You want us to do something. So I said, "It's a crazy message, right in the middle of summer, trying to." It's, but it's a message God gave me on the first Sunday back. So then, then, then Moses responds to God with a question: "Who are you? Who are you?" And God said, "I'm going to tell you who I am." Now, why did he ask this question? Moses knew that if he was going to work for God and represent God, go down to the people of Israel who really had been really, I mean, I don't think they were full-blown serving God. There probably was some syncretism where they were serving the gods of Egypt and serving God. There was probably some blending there. There wasn't that total commitment. And so he goes down there and he's going to start saying, your God told me to come. He needed to know who he was. It was important that he knew the God who had called him. And God's response to Moses' question was, I am who I am. I am called you. Now, let me just teach you something. The Hebrew word used here is the source of our English words, Yahweh. Y'all ever heard that? Jehovah. You ever heard that? Okay, and if you look in the Old Testament, every time it has Lord, it's caps, L-O-R-D. Have you noticed that? Same word. It's it's. It's this word for I am. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word has a connection. That word has a connection with another Hebrew word. The, the gist of it is that it means to be. It's the verb to be. So, so God is. He was, is, and will be. Somebody, one of the ladies in church has a doctor came up to me. She said, you want to hear something cool? And I, I thought this was so cool. She said, he is the present tense God. I, and we started talking. I said, yeah, because we're limited by time or space. We see the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be. But in God's mind, there is no was and no will be. He just always is. And so it's the verb to be. Now, when I was in school, I loved, I loved math, loved history. Didn't care for English so much. I like reading, but that whole writing stuff, I'm sorry, English teachers. So, Chuck, I'd have liked you because I like math. I'm still good with numbers. but 
but but English and but one of the first things we did in English I'm talking about this is one of the first things you do in elementary school they teach you to conjugate verbs and the first verb they start with is to be if you take Spanish that's the first verb you learn to conjugate is to be okay so when you conjugate the verb to be it's I am you are he is she is they are we are right and you learn how to conjugate the verb okay I got to thinking all right if God's name means basically to be it's the present tense God it's connected with that what would happen if I conjugated the name of God if I took the name of God to be and I conjugated and I found out some things the deeper I went so I started with I am that's what he said he said I am and if you would conjugate a verb you would start with I am and the more I thought about this here's what I learned I am reflects the self-revelation of God how many know you can't know a thing about God unless God reveals himself okay so you just it's what you discover about God when you read the Bible and so when you have the the self-revelation of God through reading the Bible you learn the essence of God you learn the nature of God so let me teach you some things here so I, I went to the Bible and I started learning so here's what I looked here's examples God said I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob that means he's a covenant God and then I read another place I am the God who heals you so that means God is a healing God I read in another place, uh, I am the Lord who made all things. That means he's a creative God. Then I read where he said, I am God and there is none like me. We sang that this morning in one of the songs. So that means that he's holy. He is uniquely different from anyone or anything else in creation. And then I read where he said, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I'm glad for that one. How about you? And then he said, I am the Lord and I do not change. That means he's immutable. Thank God in an ever-changing world, we have a never-changing God. And then I like this when he said, I am the Lord, and if I say it, it will happen. Anybody like that one? I like that one. If God says something, you can bank on it. So this is, this is I and I am. The more I read the statements of God about I am, I learn who he is. And so then I went over to, 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 to the Gospels and looked at Jesus, the Son of God, who is the great I am, because he is God, he is the great I am incarnate. And I learned that there are seven I am statements of Jesus. Some of you know this, some of you don't. But if you go to the Gospel of John, there are seven. How many know seven is God's perfect number? Seven I am statements that Jesus made. Y'all want to hear them? Great. Nobody said anything. All right. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the doorway to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine, and you are the branches. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then in John 14, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. See, every time you read about the I am's, you begin to learn about the nature of God. You want me to tell you my favorite I am story in the Bible? It's not Exodus 3, it's in John, the Gospel of John. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows at any minute they're going to come to arrest him. And sure enough, he sees the flickers of torchlight and the clanging of shields and spears and swords. And here comes this force led by the, the soldiers of the high priest led by Judas. And over here are the, are, the, are the apostles and Jesus. It's dark. Nobody can see real clearly. And so they get on one side and the other. And it looks like the gun fight at the OK Corral. Everybody's standing like this with their hands on the gun, Right? Peter with a sword. They don't have guns. They have sword. Peter can't use a sword. He can use a fishing rod. When you cut off a man's ear, that ain't war. That's surgery. Anyway, okay. And so they're, they're, they're going to lose this battle. And so Jesus, there's tension. They're faced off of it. And it's dark. Nobody can see who's who. Jesus steps out so they can see him. He said, who are you looking for? I'm going to give you the King Chris version. Who are you looking for? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, here's what happens. He said... In your Bible, it reads, I am he. But the he is italicized. And when words are italicized in your Bible, it is, it is to show you that these were words that were added to complete the sentence. If you take one language and put it in another language, you have to do that to make it work for our language. It's not adding into the Bible or taking away. It's just translating. It's necessary. So to make it read right for us, we read, he said, I am he. But in the original language, that's not what he said. 
When they said, he said, whom you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. I am. Now here's what John says. When he did that, the glory of God, he's in flesh. He's been in anguish. This is going to be all about flesh for the next 24 hours or less where they're going to beat his flesh, strip his flesh. They're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to crucify his flesh, drive nails on his flesh, crowns of thorn in his flesh. They're going to just destroy his flesh and eventually bleed the life out of his flesh. But there's one moment before that's going to take place because that's what's got to happen. He's got to die. The flesh has got to die to pay the price so that we can be saved. But in the moment before all that's to take, there's just got to be one more moment of divine glory. And he said, I am. And the glory of God hits every soldier, and I think Judas too, and the Bible says every one of them fell to the ground. You ever seen when we've laid hands, preachers lay hands on people and they fall out in the power of God? Imagine a whole contingency of soldiers poof, fall to the ground. And Jesus is just standing there. And they, they, they compose themselves and they jump back up and he said, now, <clears throat> who are you looking for? Don't you think that rattled them a little bit? They might have come in with some fight, but all the fight got knocked out of them. All of a sudden, they were scared and they were trembling. And then maybe they were ready to kill every disciple and just get Jesus. But at this point, they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're shook to the core. Why? Let me tell you something. Because when the power of the great I am touches you, it'll shake every enemy. It'll shake the devil. It'll remove every opposition. Don't tell me you can't do something for God. Because when you know who he is, his power will make a way where there is no way. It's my favorite I am story. Then I'm going to skip you are and come back to it. And I want to go to he is. So I am, you are, he is. I go to he is. Now what is a he is revelation? This revelation occurs when you take God's self-revelation to you and you recognize it and you embrace it and you begin to understand his identity. Okay? It's no longer book knowledge. It's becoming head knowledge. All right? You're, you're recognizing it. And this is a very important step in your understanding of God. So when you read the Bible and you start embracing his identity and this thing now expands and it's developed, then here's what you discover. You start with Genesis, go to Revelation. He is the creator of all. He is the giver and sustainer of life. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is Adonai, Lord. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is a rock in a weary land. He is a shelter in the time of storm. He is the lily of the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the bright in the morning star. He is the sun of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He is the name above all names. How many know that this morning? He is the son of man. He is the son of God. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is my joy and sorrow. He is my hope for tomorrow. He is my doctor. He is my lawyer. He is my banker. He is my broker. He is my burden bearer. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he is the fourth man in the fire. Hallelujah. He is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. John said he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world and if you get to revelation you read where he is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last he who has the key of David and shuts the door that no man can open and opens the door that no man can shut if you read revelation you'll find that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and when you get it all done and get to the end it says he is the king of kings and the lord of lords come on somebody if you you know who he is today why don't you give God praise in this house hallelujah and then you get to you are let me tell you why you are so important this is where head knowledge transfers to experiential knowledge you got me it's just not head knowledge anymore it's personal it's not academic or theoretical it, it, it's, it resonates with who you are now. This kind of revelation, you are revelation. 
comes from a life lived in faith, walking with God, on the mountain, in the valley, through the battles, in the struggles, when everything's going good, when everything's falling apart, but you just cling to the rock, and you keep on trusting him, you keep on serving him, you develop a you are revelation. And here's how it works. You get in an altar, you, you climb in your prayer closet, maybe with hot tears streaming down your face. I've done it. And I've said, God, you are my Savior. You are my Redeemer. You are my atoning sacrifice. You are the ransom for my sins. You are my advocate with the Father. You are my Father. You are my friend. You are my sanctifier. You are my Holy Spirit baptizer. Hallelujah. You are my healer. You are my deliverer. You are my peace. Thank God for the peace that I have, and it's because I've got you. You are my joy. I may not be happy right now, but I still got joy. And this joy that, the, that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world didn't take it away. You are my song in the midnight hour when I just feel like everything's crumbling around me. Somehow I can still sing and I sing because you are my God. You are my anointing. Hallelujah. You are my king. You are my sovereign. You are my master. You are my Lord. God, I know who you are. You're my intercessor. Thank God. God, somebody's pulling for me. Somebody's praying for me. You are my soon coming king. You are my, and when I get to the point I've run out of things to say, I'll just say, God, you are my all in all. You are my everything. God, I just want to tell you one more time, you are my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you know who he is, it makes all the difference. I'm coming to a close with this. Here's the point of my message. This is the whole reason I just came here today. I wanted to talk about I got tickled because Jill, she, I thought Jill was going to preach my message in the first service, but she wasn't. She preached the other side of my message, and I'm so glad she did. She talked about who you are in him. That was so vital. But I'm talking about who he is today. Now you know both. Here's the message, the point of the message. If you know the great I am, if you know who he is, if you're able to look at him and say, I know who you are, I know who you are to me, you can fulfill the calling of God on your life. That's what God was trying to convey to Moses. I know you feel inadequate. I know you feel like a failure, but it doesn't matter. I'm with you. And it's not what you're going to do. It's what I'm, listen to me, it's not what you're going to do. It's what I'm going to do through you, said the Lord. He could do what God wanted him to do because God would make up the difference in his life. And the devil will lie to you and tell you that you cannot be who God has called you to be and he will tell you that you cannot do what God has called you to do because you're not this or you're not that or you failed here or you failed there. Well, good. I don't normally agree with the devil, but here's one time you can say, devil, this is really rare for you, you liar. But that's one time you're telling the truth. But then look at him and tell him this. Whatever I'm not, God is. Whatever I don't have, he's got. Whatever I can't do, he promised he'd do it through me. So you're right, devil, I may not meet up to your standard, but evidently I meet up to his standard and I don't answer to you, I answer to him. And you're not gonna talk me out of this and I'm gonna stop making excuses. I'm gonna go do what God has called me to do. Stand with me this morning. You know what I've learned? I have learned, Pastor Billy, that unless you are a carnal Christian, unless you are somebody that someone that is just wrapped up in this world, okay? And I think that's part of being a carnal Christian. You're just wrapped up in this world. You pop into church and pop out, and you're probably popping out more times than you're popping in. 
But oh, you're just running after everything in this world. Your career, all these things you're just going after. Because that's life. You ain't got time, excuse me for saying ain't, but you ain't got time to worry about the kingdom of God. You're too busy building your own. Amen, pastor. That's good. Preach on. Get in our stuff and step on our toes. Well, I think I will. As a pastor, I can't do a thing with somebody that is caught up in this world and too busy to see that God has called them to something great. Your job will end one day. You're going to retire. You're going to die. Everything you've got is going to go to somebody else. Your kids are going to break everything you've got and spend it. Oh, yeah. You know that car, you baby? Once they put those grandbabies in and start driving it, that thing's going to look like a piece of trash. You know that job you keep beating yourself up on and you're skipping church because you say, well, I can get some paperwork done on Sunday morning? I'm preaching now. You ain't amen me much this far. I don't, I don't expect it now. One of these days, they're going to look at you and say, thank you very much, but we're done with you. We're going to get the next generation. We can pay them half as much and get twice as much out of them. Bye. Can't do nothing people like that. But here's what I found. That's just few and far between. The vast majority of people who are saved, they want to do something for God. God saved me. I wanted to do something for him. I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't ask for that. That's my dad's thing my two grandfather's things, my uncle's things. I don't want to be a preacher. That was not my plan. But I did want to do something for God. I think God puts it in our hearts. Ephesians 2.10, it's in there. It's in our DNA. I got to do something for God. It's just finding out what that something is. Thank God we got growth track. You don't know what it is that God wants you to do, but you want to do something for God, sign up for Growth Track and go through it. I don't care if you're a charter member. Sign up for it, go through Growth Track. We'll help you discover what it is that God's called you to do. It's part of what we do in Growth Track. But let me ask you a question this morning. Do you want to do something for God? What is that something that God has called you to do? Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't pastor this church on my own. I'm leaning on God. I can't get up here and preach every Sunday like I should. I'm leaning on God. I have to be the spiritual leader to my family. And all my boys have moved out and they're married and they're having kids, but it doesn't matter other than my dad. My dad is the patriarch of the entire Sistar clan, but on my vein, I'm the patriarch to my boys and my daughters-in-law and my grandsons. I have to be, I already have a job, a calling. I have to be the spiritual leader. If you're married and you're young and you have a wife, sir, you, are, you already know your calling. You have to be the spiritual leader in your household. You understand what I'm saying? You're called to do something. You're called to do something. You have a niche. You have a passion. There's something God's called you to do. I want you to figure out what it is, and I want you to say, God, I'm going after it. I want it. we got five minutes left in this service, but according to what we try to do, we got as much time as we want, but I'm going to try to work it out. I want everybody in this house, this is not a dismissal, come down to the altar as quick as you can because we need to pray. You need to pray. If you leave, you're not going to get to pray. Come down here as quickly as you can, please, and pile up in the altar as close as you can. I'm sitting here thinking, can you listen to me as you're walking? I'm sitting here thinking about a man named B.H. Short. All the Impact Team members have heard me talk about B.H. Short. All the ushers have heard me talk about B.H. Short. B.H. Short was never a preacher. B.H. Short was never had credentials. B.H. Short never got up on a platform and did what I did. But let me tell you who B.H. Short was. At Praise Cathedral Church of God in Greer, South Carolina. B.H. Short, very distinguished man, well-to-do stood in the foyer. We didn't have an impact team. We didn't have greeters back then. But B.H. Short was a self-appointed impact team greeter. 
He stood in the foyer every Sunday at Praise Cathedral. And everybody that came in that door, he made you feel like a million dollars. He would make you feel like that was your home. If you were a first-time guest, B.H. Short would give you so much attention, ask you questions that you just thought he was the most wonderful guy in the world. When B.H. Short died... People at his funeral stood around and talked about it. We had people come up to us as a pastoral staff and say, do you know why I'm at this church? I'm at this church because of B.H. Short. B.H. Short made me feel so special when I came that first Sunday. We got in the car and we left and said, man, I love that church and I love that man. I want to go back next Sunday just to see that man again. That was his calling. And I, feel, I think that all these years later, B.H. is probably standing at the pearly gates and everybody who dies and goes to heaven, B.H. is right there to meet him because I think the calling's still on his life. You hear me? Nobody had to tell him to do it. It was his passion. It was his drive. He did what God called him to do. And he helped build Praise Cathedral to that church, the mighty church that it is today. What is it that God's called you to do? Right now, I want you to respond to the word, throw your hands up and begin to pray. And if God's calling you into a ministry, if God's been dealing with your heart, will you yield to him and say, God, use me. Use me, God. If you're saying, Pastor, Pastor, I don't want to pray, then just say, God, use me. Show me, God. Help me, God. Don't let me get so wrapped up in this world that I'm forgetting the kingdom of God. But God, help me to volunteer. Help me to get in the area where I'm passionate about. And whether it's in the church or outside the church, it might be volunteering at a soup kitchen or volunteering at AIM. But just pray right now. Father, would you help us in this church? God, right in the middle of summer when, God, this may seem like the most unusual time. This is the time when, God, we need to say, Lord, what would you have me do? God, I want my life to make a difference because whatever we do in this earth, it's going to end and it's going to cease. And there won't be a really a long-term impact. But what we do for the kingdom will have eternal consequences. It will last forever. If I lead somebody to Jesus or if I work in a children's ministry and I can influence those children or students or a life group or whatever, those people to serve God, that, that's something that will last forever. Come on, y'all, pray out to God. Just call out to God. God, help me and use me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.